We have such a fun guest today. This is, I'm really excited for our listeners because this fabulous woman has a great story and she brings a topic to the conversation that we talk about, but she's really made it kind of her mission and, and life's work to bring attention to it. And so without, I'm not even going to wait. I just want to introduce our audience <laughs> to Francesca and I met in a business course, the same one that Tanya and I met in, but we did them at different times living, you know, our listeners know I, I am in Key West now and I really have no friends now. <laughs> You know, I work at the little island organic market cafe because I work from home, but I had to get out of the house and I had to find a way to meet people. So I work with these incredible women. And one day Francesca comes in and she puts her phone down on the counter and I see a podcast, a Kathy Heller podcast. And I'm looking and I'm going, oh my God, I don't know anybody here. Like, and especially that connects with what we believe in and what we do all the time. And I said to her, oh my God, I love Kathy Heller. I recently took a course and she looks up and she goes, blank, blank, blank. <laughs> now she said made to do this. And I was like, oh my God, I found my person. You know, I, fe I felt like, <laughs> I felt like I found my person here in Key West. Mm -hmm. So we started talking and we made plans and we went out for coffee and story on, we became lovely friends and just getting to know who she is. So I want to introduce Francesca. I want you to tell everybody your story. She is a empowerment, self-worth coach, guide. She does human design and tarot, which is like, oh my God, so my jam. Mm -hmm. And just really is, is cool. And she's from Chile. And I'm not going to wait. So you, my darling Francesca, tell us about you. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, this is very exciting. Yeah, getting to know. I mean, it was so magical the way we met. And I was actually, funny enough, I was trying to call in new friends. Because I feel like, I, same like you said, like I don't have friends here that are in the same page that I am or going in the same direction. So it was so incredible. And I'm so happy we got to know each other. And yeah, and now being here in your podcast, it's yeah, amazing. Thank it you so much. We talk a lot about, I mean, I think it's come up in three or four of our podcasts, Allie, about how hard it is as women to meet new friends. Yes. And so I just, I love that you were, you know, manifesting new friendships and the universe kind of just happened to have you listening to Kathy's podcast as you're checking out of Allie's line. Like it gives me goosebumps, right? Like how all of that just comes together because I do really think as we get older, it's just harder to find people who friendships that can help us continue to elevate ourselves. Right. And I think that's what you two have done for each other, which has been really fun to listen to Allie talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the community. This is a very small community we live in and you know, there's a lot of spiritual people, but there's also a lot of like, it's mostly like a party town. Yes. And so Pretty much everybody I know, it's all about going out and drinking and, you know, it, it's not my thing. 
And so it's been especially hard for me to meet people that are more into like a healthy lifestyle and doing personal growth, spirituality and all that stuff. Francesca, will you talk to our listeners? Will you tell them how you came about? Like you are from Chile, your family's Mm -hmm. in Chile. Mm -hmm. And what, what brought you, how did you end up in Key West and how did you end up on this journey? Like, how did you even find Kathy? Um, okay. So when I was, well, I grew up in Chile. When I was 28, I was working as a physical therapist and I was just really unhappy with my life at that point on, not just about my career, but like my whole life. I was single. I was broke. I was living with my parents. I felt like I was a failure and that was like my entire life, honestly. And I was, um, I always had eating disorders since I was 13. And at that point it was just like louder. I don't, I wouldn't say louder than ever, but I feel like it was a point when I was like, okay, I'm done and I need to do something and change. And first I wanted to get my physical therapist license here, but you know, short after I realized that if I was unhappy doing that back home, it will be the same thing here, just like colder. They will probably send me to like Alabama, nothing against Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) Like I had the feeling like all the opportunities were to work like in the coldest spots in the US. So I'm like, oh, I don't know that I want that. And at the end, like I just decided to come and figure something out and honestly see if I liked it. I wasn't expecting to stay in Key West for that long. I was going to go to California, but I don't know. There was something about Key West that always got me, you know, staying another year, another year, another year. It's a, magi- it's a magical island that way. It, it is really, yeah, it is really magical. There's a lot of magnetism here. And so, yeah, that's how I I came really looking for just healing and soul searching. And I didn't have a clear plan of what I, what I will do in the future. I just knew that I had to take that break from where I was at and um, yeah, just take a break from the life that I was living at and just like took a step back. And Um, what led you to, well, one, to finding the course that you took to to that personal growth and development, which we have all done. mm -hmm. And how did you land on, like not land, but but what makes you so passionate about body shame and self-empowerment and self-esteem or self-worth? Like, what is it that you're so passionate about in that way? Um, Well, I was always extremely insecure. Like I couldn't even choose, you know, a pair of like pants without asking my mom, like, mom, what do you think? Which one should I pick? You know, I was so insecure about the way I looked. Well, with my eating disorders also since I am 13. And honestly, way before that, my body shame started when I was four years old and then it got very loud and clear when I was eight. Are you, are you willing to share what, what started that? 
I mean, we've talked about this, but would you share with our listeners, like what at four years old, cause that's young. So what was it that, that happened? So I remember clearly that I wanted to do ballet and I wanted to be a dancer, um, you know, just like a, any four year old girl. Uh, and I remember my grandma said that my legs were too thick. They were too big. And so that's the first time that I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, my legs are big. And so I probably couldn't be a dancer. They're so thin and so like, I don't know if tall is the word, but you know, they, they yeah, I'm like, definitely that's not my body shape. Um, so that was the first time that I thought that there was something wrong with my body. But then when I was eight, I was developing very fast and my mom got worried that I would get my period and I will stop, um, you know, growing. And so um, she took me to the doctor and the doctor said that I was overweight, um, just a few pounds. It was like At eight pounds. years old. Yeah, it was like a few pounds. It was literally, uh, I think it was like six pounds or something like that. And uh, they put me on a diet. And so when that happened, I'm like, okay, there's definitely something wrong with my body. And at that point, I felt really ashamed. And I, I just felt like my mom was disappointed somehow. Um, I don't know that she was, but um you I felt that way as a little girl I, yeah and I I saw her worrying about me getting my period and so this diet was very important because if I if my weight was on track it, I had better chances of not getting my period you know before I, I don't know it was just like the whole thing um so yeah and that's when I'm like okay I'm fat and being fat is not something good so I just didn't want to disappoint my mom. And also I felt, you know, gross. I'm like, okay, I'm fat. I'm, you know, ugly or whatever. So since then I feel like I started, maybe it was even before, but I, I definitely know that after that diet, I started to eating, like hiding, you know, and and eating Mm. stuff, especially because I felt so lonely. My mom used to work the entire day. Um, I didn't have a dad growing up. And so it was like my mom, it was uh, my grandma and her sister and they, they all worked. So um, it was just me, my nanny sometimes, but I remember, yeah, eating, like just standing in the kitchen and just grabbing something and eating and then feeling guilty because I ate. So yeah. And then by the, by the age of 13, I remember that I liked one of the uh, guys from school. He was older than me. He didn't even know that I existed, obviously. And for some reason, someone told me that he liked this girl and she was very thin. And I'm like, oh, he likes thin girls. So I went on a diet and I'm like, you know, I just looked online like, okay, it's a five day diet that you pretty much starve yourself and then you lose 10 pounds. And I'm like, I'm going to try that. And by day two or day three, I just bent so bad because I I was starving. And then that was the first time that I decided to throw up. And yeah, and then it just never stopped. Never. 
So it's amazing. I wanna, oh, I'm I was going to say, I was. It's amazing how early, as girls, we start to associate our self worth with our bodies, right? Like you remember that at at four, associating being pretty and skinny with our who we are as a person. You know, you were telling your story, and I just remember hearing things from my mom too about being overweight. And part of the problem is my mom is 5'4", I am 5'10", so our body shapes are very, very different, and I was never going to be built like her, but she always made me feel, and I, you were talking about binging, I'm like, I still to this day, when I'm home by myself, have this thought of, I got to go, let's go eat some chips and cheese before everybody comes home and sees, you know, I just, I think it's so crazy at how such a young age we start to associate our self-worth with how thin we are. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And I, and I also remember growing up where, you know, my sister and I from a very young age in our household, you know, my mom was a single mom. You, you gained a couple pounds. Oh, you lost a couple pounds. Oh, you gained a couple pounds. Oh, you lost a couple pounds. And it was all related to, oh, you look good or well, mm. and it was hard, but then I also realized, you know, that my grandmother was that way. So she, my mother grew up in a household where her mother, it was all vanity. It was nothing mattered. No accomplishments, no academics for her mattered. It was all about what you look like and what everyone else saw you look like. And, you know, so it's, a, it, it just went down in generations. You know, when you were talking about like it being four years old and wanting to be you know, a dancer and do ballet. And we think about how that image is burned in everybody's mind of what a ballerina looks like. And then of course, Misty Copeland comes out, you know, years and years ago with, you know, beauty is strength, you know, and she's one of the premier ballerinas, but she is built on strength. And she really, there was a whole campaign around that. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And now we're seeing all these companies like Airy and Victoria's Secret and Lululemon all changing what they're putting out there to say all women matter, all sizes matter. And kind of joining the crusade to change the way we look at it. But it really had a huge impact on your life. Yeah, it's crazy because it's like you were saying it's passed through generations and generations it's just cultural it's just in our dna so it's really hard to shift it it is and it's and it's not until somebody in the line in the generational line says i'm breaking this i'm breaking this this stigma that has gone down our family and i'm not going to live this way and i'm not going to teach my children and i'm not going to surround myself with people that are like this because it's not healthy and it hasn't, it hasn't served you well, but it also served you well in one way because it moved you into the work that you do. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to talk about what it is that you do and how, how you figure that out and how did you come to taking to, to do the course of made to do this? Mm -hmm. So from a very early age, I think I was really into personal growth my entire life, I feel like. I probably read my first personal growth book when I was 17 or something. I remember reading Louise Hay, um, 
yeah so I feel like that that was always inside of me and there was a part of me that always knew that at some point I will have to step up and be that person you know like being someone that will help other people I knew that there was a purpose behind all my suffering Mm -hmm. and I was just waiting for the right moment but you know the right there's no such thing so (laughs) you just get through it and so I remember just being scrolling on Facebook and I saw this like Facebook ad about uh, Kathy Heller's um, like workshop or challenge or something like that. And, you know, I'm like, okay, it's free. It seems fun. Let's do it. I don't lose anything. And it was just like, whoa, it really made me realize that the time was now and that I was ready. I was ready, ready. And that's when I took her program and I, yeah, I haven't stopped, you know, working towards this new, new business, new way of serving since then. So it's been incredible. Right. That's, that's exciting. And I would, would you talk a little bit about how did you become like, yes, your story and your trauma around body image. But how did you really come to the realization that you knew that the work that you want to do to help other women was around body shame? I think it's, honestly, I think it's shame by itself. I feel like Mm -hmm. at some point I was going to focus on body and eating disorders. And then I realized that it's, it's much more deeper than that. It's, it's, really profound and it has not a lot to do with like the body itself I mean yeah for sure body image but it's really it's really shame because if we don't give whatever our body image that negative meaning it's all about the meaning we give to things right Right. the meaning that we give to the thought or the feeling and so I really think it's the shame that I work with people, um, not only about body shame, but just like feeling worthless, feeling that they're not worthy, feeling that they're not capable, feeling that they don't deserve the life they want. Right. And so, yeah. I, you know, because you and I have talked prior to this interview, you told me an interesting story where shame came in and really kind of started you. And I really, I think it was that you were around three years old. And I was wondering if you would tell that story about the man and the kiss on the cheek, because it was really interesting to me about being so, so young, but having that memory of feeling shame around it. Yeah. And you didn't even know it was shame then, but the feeling it gave you at such an incredibly young age Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, oh my gosh, that's when all my not knowing how to set boundaries started because I didn't have any, like any. And honestly, it wasn't until I want to say a year ago that I started realizing that I had no boundaries whatsoever. And yeah, this story. So I was three years old and um, back home, I feel like, especially in the 80s, it was very common to justify men for doing things um, 
Okay, I'll go to the story. So I was three years old. There was this man that he he used to sell newspapers in this like little tent. And um, he will always come to me and kiss me in the cheek with his mouth open. And he will leave my cheek wet every single time. And it was disgusting. I remember, I I didn't know what it was, but I just felt this disgust, like this, like, oh, this is not right. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I told my mom and my grandma, you know, I told my family and I, I told them that I didn't like it. And they said, well, he's just so, you know, friendly and he's just, you know, he loves to, he's very, how do you say that? It's very like, yeah, you're, it's, um, he's just, that's his way of showing. Right. Tom, I said he's very affectionate. Yes. And it was his way of showing his, his personality, his kindness. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So he, he was totally justified. And so I felt that I had nothing to say. I mean, what can I say? I'm three years old. And I always felt that something was totally off with that. Um, but I didn't have that backup. So right. uh, from then on, I started to justify men for doing things because that's the way they are. You know what I'm saying? Right. I've done that in so many relationships and life circumstances. Um, so that was crazy. And then, um, I have a blocked memory, like it's like kind of, kind of blurry, but I know that at some point he showed me, uh, pornography, like magazines, you know, um, I don't think he ever touched me, but I do know he showed me stuff. And so, I think I created also a lot of like sexual shame and like a lack of boundaries. Like I'm not mm-hmm. allowed to know two things because men are men, you know? Right. 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 And and think, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, well, that story really shook me when you told me it. I just, I, it didn't shake me from the fact that we know that, you know, like you said, men are men and they're given a, you know, a certain pass on certain things. But it was the way that you made it made you feel and that instead of getting what you needed from the women of your life, which is we're not going to we're going to make sure that doesn't happen because it doesn't feel good to you. They could still justify his behavior because they felt that way about him and they felt he was obviously safe in some way. Right. But you weren't made to feel safe. Right. So that carried a shame and and definitely in as it continued, you developed this shame around sex. It became something shameful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was the Catholic country. I mean, I grew up in a Catholic country. So mm-hmm. um, even though my family wasn't particularly religious, the country was so religious that I had it in me, you know, that sex wasn't I mean, I should wait until I got married or, um, yeah, like really used to, as a woman, be treated like a whore if I was with too many guys or anything like that. Um, Yeah. And and, and even like, uh, I remember another thing that it was very common 
And I think it's changing now, thank God. But men used to harass you on the streets, right? Like yell things at you, come on to and like nasty things. I'm not even Mm -hmm. saying like, oh, hey, beautiful. No, like disgusting things. And I will get so upset and like, so I feel like I even created some sort of resentment against like Latin men. And I still feel it whenever I see one, I'm like, oh, not you. I don't want to have anything mm-hmm. to do with you. Um, right. You know, now that I'm, as I'm talking, I'm realizing that I might have some shadow there with even like me being from a Latin American country, I always try to like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about Chile. I have nothing to do with that, you know, because I feel that I just got so much, I feel so much disgust for Latin men um, for what I went through. Right. Um, And I remember, yeah, people telling you like nasty things on the street, things that I didn't, I don't even want to translate them because it's just- the worst um and I remember one time I was I was probably 10 no 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 I was probably 11 or 12 because I had like my body was like I start I was starting to look like a woman and I was walking with my nanny and someone said something to me and I I, I was like that's so gross and she told me, oh, they're just telling you things because you're beautiful. So you should be, you know, you should be happy that people are telling you things, you know? So it's like that- when we tell the girls when the boys are mean on the playground, it's because they like them, right? Like we, as a society, make excuse for the men's behavior and not, and, and I, I so feel exactly what you're saying, how you equate an entire group of people because of the experiences that you had. And so you, like you said, you run into a Latin man and you automatically start having some of those same feelings brought up because we've just experienced those things over and over and over again. And it's so frustrating when we hear or we're told, well, that's just boys being boys. Like that's, that's, so we as women are just supposed to take it and be okay with them body like you said body shaming us by how we look or saying things to us and then like you said it makes us start to question how our own how we feel about ourselves and then we turn it around and make you know we have poor relationships and poor boundaries with men because we're we've been told that's what we need to do right and then you know as we grow up or even even as teenagers before you know we feel like we're grown up we're sexualized and we're supposed to say, okay, well, we're supposed to do this and we're supposed to physically please them. And we're supposed to, you know, be these sexual beings for them because that's what they need. And that's, that's okay. Cause society has, has put that into its place. And this goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, this isn't, this isn't new. And even though, there's an awareness, of course, with the Me Too movement and and all of this, you know, sexual assault and abuse cases that are so public today. It's it's in our face. It's in our. It, we're seeing, you know, some things being done about it, but to think that it takes it takes so much for women to push back to get the smallest little victory for ourselves is still 
it's just shocking. I think, I think it's shocking that it's still happening. And even as parents of kids, you know, we can, we can change that culture within our home, but then they go to school and there's going to be teachers that still haven't changed their thoughts around this, or there's other, you know, kids who aren't getting that or who still being boys who are still being taught, you know, that they're inferior to women and or superior to women. And um, I, I, it's just, it's, a, I wonder when it will, real change will be made. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's not just men, it's also women, because we, yes. we justify all the things, you know? Exactly. It's in us and it's in them, but it's also in us. So it's like our collective thing. Yes. And there's so many things I feel like I want to speak about on these topics, but I also don't want to be crucified for my feelings and thoughts, but I am a woman, like I'm an, a twice ex-wife. And sometimes I'm supposed to be always for the wife in a, in a situation, but I've seen friends and even past relationships that I've had that have gone through previous marriages where it was so clearly defined that it was actually the, the man who had more rights here, but the courts killed them because the woman deserves this. Mm. I'm like, but I'm a woman and I see it very differently. You know, like, like the whole sexual sexualization of women And it's like, well, if you're going to do a certain job that puts you in a position of sexuality and you're going to make a living on your sexuality and what you look like, then how do you fight against the Mm. stigma if you're putting yourself in that position? And I'm not saying, believe me, everyone that's listening, I am not saying it's okay for men to cross lines or to touch you against your will or to take a position of power because they're a man. I'm not saying that because none of that is okay. But what I am saying is if if women take a position to use their looks and sexuality to make their living and they have that right to do so, Mm. it's a fine line how they how how it's viewed is what I'm saying. And 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 how do you change that culture of Mm -hmm. shame? That is actually, yeah, that's so interesting because there's this, you know everybody should be free to express themselves and do whatever they want. And if that feels aligned for them, that's fine. But right at the same time, how do you fight this, you know, problem we're having if that keeps happening, you know, if we keep hitting. And honestly, something very subtle that happened to me, the same thing. It's like, because I wasn't aware because it's been such a like, okay. So I, my best friend, um, we always, and it's been, I don't even know how it started, but it's been our joke since day one that, for example, we're together having a drink or we're together having dinner and he takes a picture, um, you know, of the food, the drinks, and I'm in the background and you can see my books in the background. And it's like, it's always, it was always funny, you know, to have that joke. It was just between me and him. And it's like, you know, And then eventually I realized that I am promoting that same thing by doing that, even though my friend is not disrespecting me or, you know what I'm saying, but it's the Mm -hmm. fact 
I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm doing that. Like, you know, like I never thought about it, it was so innocent. Right. You right. know. But and so then one when I realized and the next time he was gonna do it, I said, you know what? No. And at first he didn't take it well. He was like, but that's always been our joke. Like, what do you mean? You know, like, yeah. and, and he, he thought I was telling him, you know, you are, you know, a bad person or whatever. You're like degrading me. And I wasn't, it wasn't at all. I told him, hey, you are not aware. I am not aware or I wasn't, you know? Um, and it, this is just, this is going to change. You know, I am creating change in my life and in other people's lives you know, especially I'm standing for women and I just realized that it's not right. And so I need to change it. Mm -hmm. And so when I explained it to him, he kind of like, he was still like bummed up, but he's like, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Okay. But I think he felt really ashamed also of like what he was doing when he saw it, you know? Right. So it was very interesting because even me, you know, that I'm all about like, yeah, women and body shame and all that stuff. I was doing this little job with him, but then I'm like, shoot, like I'm using my body. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. exactly. I am being sexualized. I'm letting myself being sexualized. And my friend wasn't even aware either. Like none of us were. So right. that's how bad it is. It, it's, it is such an unbelievable fine line. You know, I think about having this conversation. I think about, I think about, Let's, let's talk about movies, okay, that show us something. And one of the ones that stands out to me all the time, and I've seen it many times, is The Accused with Jodie Foster, where she gets gang raped in a, the back of a bar because she's had too much to drink and she's wearing a little shirt without a bra and a short skirt and she's dancing provocatively in the scene with one guy who that guy then pins her down on the pinball machine. And then all the guys around are cheering. They're promoting this guy and saying, if you don't, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, go, go, go. And they, and you know, for anyone that hasn't seen the movie, it's, it's a hard scene to watch. It's painful to watch. And then of course, you know, going to court and dragging this whole thing out. And, and yes, it's a movie, but this happens all the time. We all see these the time in, in sports. We see them in colleges, date rapes in colleges where, you know, a girl drank too much at a party where everybody else was doing the same thing. The boys were drinking just as much, if not more, but the girl, because women's clothing are different, you know, you know, in the summer, if a boy's wearing a t-shirt and shorts, a girl's wearing the same thing, but because she has boobs, you know, women who have boobs you're seeing them through the clothes immediately. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's so, sounds, you understand what I'm saying? Does I it do, and a couple things come to mind. So I work, my, my day job is in the construction industry, right? So I run into men all the time and I remember coming into work and I mean, right now I'm in a sweatshirt and jean, which is what I wear 90% of the time to work, but sometimes I'll put on a cute top and, you know, show a little bit of cleavage because, I like my cleavage and I want to, you know, and I was told, you know, by someone that said, well, I heard in my church that, you know, showing cleavage 
it, you need to do your part to keep guys from stopping to look at your chest. And I was like, fuck that. Like, if I want to show my cleavage, I'm going to show my cleavage. And how about we teach our boys not to stare at women's cleavage because it's rude? Like, why do I have to stop doing something so the boys don't get distracted by my boobs? Like, why are we teaching me to cover my body but not teaching the boys to exactly. to right. learn? And so I have a six. I have a 16-year-old daughter who is very, like, there, I have so much hope in some of the changes that I think this next generation is coming up because I watch my daughter and my son and their friends, and they're so much more having conversations about these things and not tolerating this, right? And there's just a lot more love is love and being accepting of all that. Um, but she wants to do an art project that has to do with the sexualization of women. And she had to get permission from the school. And the school was like, I don't know. It's an uncomfortable subject. She's like, what's uncomfortable about it? Like, let's bring this out and have conversations about the fact that I'm judged because I wear a crop top that shows off my chest. But none of the boys get in trouble for it for staring at me. Like, you know, we've got to stop this double standard. We need to teach people how to appreciate each other's differences, right? Like I love seeing beautiful women dressed. And I, when I see someone that looks stunning, I'm the first to say, oh my God, you are beautiful, right? Because I think that as women, we have to do that to each other. We have to be okay saying you are so beautiful. You're, you know, even though you may not look just like I do, there's something about you that's radiant. And it just, I, it lights me up to see you. And I think our, my daughter and her friends are like that. But the fact, I got so mad when she had to ask the school and the school's like, well, I don't know. And she's doing all this research on why they have dress codes. And it comes back to, to teach the boys. That, so the boys aren't distracted. Well, that is the most ridiculous reason to have a dress code, you know, I agree there are certain things you shouldn't wear to school, right? But at the same time, it, we have to teach our boys to stop Googling the girls. Yeah. I remember when my daughter was in middle school, she had a gym teacher and he made a lot of comments to the girls, a lot. And he ended up getting suspended for it. He didn't get fired. He got suspended. He had to take a leave. Because the parents, you know, the girls were telling, and I remember my daughter coming home and saying, he made a comment. She had a t-shirt on in gym. It's not like she was wearing a sports bra by itself because that you can't do in school. She's wearing a t-shirt. And, you know, he was making comments to the girls about their boobs. And guess what? He came back to work. They brought him back to work after suspension. Even though all these comments were made and parents complained, he was brought back. And it was the girls that were made to feel bad because they had boobs. And um, yeah, it's, and I think about that, you know, in the next generation, my daughter's in college and, you know, these girls are beautiful. They look a way that I sure didn't look in, in at that age. And they love to go out in little teeny outfits and bra tops and this and that. But I love their theories and the way they stand up for their rights, mm -hmm. which is, this is what makes me feel good in my skin. This is an outfit that I feel pretty in. It has nothing to do with my sexuality. It's, I like to dress up sometimes when I'm going to class five days a week in sweatshirts and sweatpants. I like to break out on the weekends and dress like a woman. That does not give you the right to say anything to me, to try and touch me, 
to cross the line. And I love that you're this generation and you know, Gen Z is stepping up to say, Mm-mm. and the other thing is this generation of Generation Z is stepping up to tell companies, listen, we're going to spend our money on you. We want to know what the hell you stand for. Mm-hmm. You know, why aren't you selling size 10 or 12s in your products? Why are you, why are all your models stick thin? What about the rest of us? How am I supposed to spend my money on you if you're not doing good for, for us? And now all these companies are really starting to change. Victoria's Secret being a huge one. They were all, their whole corporate team was male. They have done a huge overhaul. They have finally, after all these years, got rid of the angels and the fashion show is done. Mm-hmm. And now their corporate team was overhauled with a huge slew of women brought in. They are now bringing models to their vision. They want women of all sizes and shapes to, to show that beauty is everything. It comes in every shape, size, color. And I just think it's really nice that some of these companies are really stepping up to take some social responsibility. Well, and I think that's where the work that you do, Francesca, is so important, right? Like getting us to start to feel comfortable with our bodies and letting go of that shame that we've carried for so many years. Like that, I really feel like my whole journey started out from my beach body coaching. That's how I really got into personal development because I've never felt comfortable in my body. At 45, I probably feel the most comfortable in my body that I've ever felt in my entire life. And there's still days where I don't feel good in my body. But I know typically those are the days I need to work the most on myself, right? So the work that you're doing to help us let go of that shame that we've carried for a very, very long time and start seeing ourselves for the, how the rest of the world sees us is so important because then we can take that strength that we've gotten. And like Allie said, start making true social change by asking for better from the companies that we serve, asking that the clothing companies start to serve all our body types better. And even I'm thinking like, I, you know, just even the shifting of menswear, like making it okay for men to wear something more fashionable. Like I think of Harry Styles was on the cover of Vogue, right? And he was in an awesome dress and redefining how clothing defines us and not necessarily gender. And I think that's really hard for some of the older generation to understand that the lines between gender and sexuality are so much more merged together today than they were 40 years ago. I love that. I I so love what you just said, Tanya. Um, And I'm a huge, huge, my whole family, we are obsessively love Harry Styles. One, I love his music, but but for me, I love what he stands for. He, his fashion sense to be whoever he wants to be and what makes him feel good. And you're right. Men should be able to dress not in suits in this way, because that's what society forever has taught a man. This is the only way you can dress. If you see something else or you want to wear, you know, a nice, you have to be able to wear what you want. And, and, you know, the same as women, you know, and I think being comfortable and teaching, you know, what Francesca teaches in her work of being comfortable. And like you, I am going to be 51 in 10 days. And, and I also have never been more comfortable in my skin. And I'm four years into menopause and it has changed the structure of my skin. 
you know, menopause brings on, you get crepey or you get more cellulite, this and that. And that's, that's been a struggle within myself, a really big struggle, but I work on mentally for myself and I've never been more comfortable in who I am and accepting of who I am. And so I think it's, it's, you know, every one of us has a voice and we use our voices to make change and little by little, the generations will push that forward. Francesca, can you tell our listeners, you know, if somebody wanted, was interested in working with you, is there somewhere they can find you? Are you on social media? Yeah. Um, so on Instagram, I am at, at empowering uniqueness with the why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my website, same thing, uh, empoweringuniqueness.com and Francesca Alejandra on Facebook as well. And we'll put that in our show notes when the, when the episode airs, but I wanted to thank you for sharing some of your stories and the work that you do and how passionate you are around that, that shame piece, you know, and teaching women how to heal from feeling that way is, is, you know, I do trauma work, but it's a little bit different because I don't really focus around image and body, but it's such a big piece of our culture. And, and I love what you're doing and it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, you know, and you're honest, I really appreciate your work as someone who has grown up very, you know, and shameful of how I looked and that I didn't look like everybody else. And um, I, I think that the work that you're doing for someone like me, who's carried that for so many years, right? Like, I feel like I get to enter this whole new chapter of life, letting go of some of that shame and that, you know, not only the physical weight, the emotional weight of having that shame that has come so thank you so much yeah I really love to have like having these conversations because I feel like conversations is what really shift things you know and make people think and that that's what creates um yeah that's what creates change and I, I do want to say this, I'm not going to give any names yet because until it's, until you're in a prep, until you get closer to your launch, but uh, Francesca will be launching her own podcast. And once that launches, I'll be happy to share it with our audience where you can find it and the name of it, but I'm not going to give that away yet. Cause I know it's in the works now, but it will be an amazing podcast around these topics to help, to help society. And I want to say help women, but it's helping all of society. So thank you for that. Thanks for keeping it real with us. And uh, we appreciate every one of you. And we'll see you again next week for our next episode. Thanks. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to A Woman Redefined. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to things we mentioned in today's episode and to learn more about us, our sponsors, and where to find us on social media. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate it, and give us a review. If you know someone who would enjoy our conversations, please share it with them. Today's episode was brought to you by Allie Roberts Coaching and Schillerland Consulting. Join us for next week's A Woman Redefined Real Talk with Allie and Tanya.